0: Life Audio.
1: Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend. My partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, I'm coming to you live from the Ivory Towers of Academia. So I normally record in my home studio, but... Uh, this is where the best sports takes come from is the, the Ivory Towers of Academia. Oh, you know it. Yeah. The best, most relevant takes on any subject come from the Ivory Towers of Academia. But we've got a fun one dialed up, dude. You have a brand new piping hot NBA theory to lay on us, which I'm excited about. I have an NBA question to lay on you And we're going to get to that as well as some NFL rookie stuff, some NFL player prediction stuff, all after we take this quick break. Okay, pipe. We're back. Um, you hit our personal. It's not a group chat if it's just two guys. Um, yeah, so it's, it's our, really
0: just a sports chat. That's most. That's like eighty five percent of our texts.
1: And I like that. You know, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not complaining about that at all. But you sent something very provocative to me, which is you. You're working on this theory in which you equate the NBA with the WWE, uh, which is the wrestling company, and. Before we get into this theory, I want to ask you a question that I I don't think I've ever asked you before. Have you, like, did you go through a period of your life growing up in John Piper's house where you watched wrestling or cared about wrestling or were even allowed to watch wrestling while also being John Piper's kid? Was this a thing that happened (laughs) at all for you?
0: You know, it... My parents were not super heavy handed about what we found enjoyment in. They just okay. sort of choked off the means to do it. So, you know, like, <laughs> they're like, I don't care what you watch, but also we don't have a TV. So yeah, yeah. Good, good luck. luck with that. Uh, right, right. Which is why I spent 80% of my weekends at friends' houses. Um, yep. That's where the TVs were. I I <laughs> was never into wrestling from a from a fan standpoint. The closest I got was there was a, uh, what was the name of that game? It was either oh, WrestleMania yeah. or it was like WWE versus WWF, something yeah. like WCW versus WWE. That's what it was, yeah, something yeah. like that. For for Nintendo 64 when I was yep. in high school. and And it was one of the most fun games because it was one that like everybody could play. You could do Royal yep. Rumble, you could do tag team, you could do one-on-one. So it wasn't one of these like, Two people are playing, and the rest are sitting around waiting for their turn kind of games and I was terrible at it because I've never been good at video games, but it 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 at least clued me into like like i knew I knew the entrance music for these guys, I knew kind of what their what their you know their big moves were sort of the the ethos yeah. of it, but I have never like I've never been interested in actually attending an event or you know paying close attention to it, yeah. I I actually went through a
1: big wrestling phase. This so, does not surprise me. I know, dude, and it was so fun. So my my older cousin, Brian, he was ahead of me by four years. He was really into it. And so I got really into whatever he was really into because we were super close and still are. But um, we would watch, like, Saturday night's main event was the WWF show. It was called the WWF back then. Uh, and then they had, like, uh, they had a midweek show, And I remember really loving it, really caring about it, really being invested in who the characters were. And then once you hit a certain age in your life, that just like disappears. It falls off the cliff, like the windows closed and you no longer care. But during the window that I cared, it was really, really fun. I do remember that video game. I used to play it in college with my friend Danny Bauman, who I haven't seen in 25 years. But uh, we, we put some good reps in on that game. And I just remember, like, mashing a whole bunch of buttons. I don't think
0: there was a lot of strategy to it, but uh, it was well, a it fun was, time. It was one of the first games where there was, like, lengthy combinations to do specialty moves, you know? Because prior yeah. to that, like, it, the N64 had just moved into the, like, we're just beyond two buttons, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah. and so it was, you know, it's like A, B, A, B, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, you know, and then mash the trigger button four times, and then you'll do your move. And I just, I could never do any of that stuff. So I would occasionally look into it, but yeah, like when I watch what games are now, I'm like, yeah, that's uh, that's a different universe. It's like it's like yeah. horse and buggy versus you know a Tesla, basically.
1: Dude, yeah, and our kids are, my kids are so good at the games, and then I try to play them because I get drawn in by the graphics, right? So they'll be playing, <laughs> they'll be playing like Call of Duty or you know some amazing like shooting game and i'll be like oh my gosh that's beautiful like i just want to walk around in that world and i'll try to play and i'll be dead in like 15 seconds and then i'll get super frustrated by it but um pipe one more thing on wrestling i don't know if you even know this about me but i wrote a book on professional wrestling has this come up in our friendship at all
0: not the wrestling one. Like I was aware of the Mike Tyson book and I know yeah. that you've you know, I know that you've written kind of as the as the writer for a bunch of athletes and, and mm-hmm. you've written Christian sports books and you you did like a it was a replacement players one or the lockout yep. season. Yeah. And uh you've done a whole bunch, but I wasn't aware of the wrestling one. Yeah, my wife
1: insisted and she was correct. She was like, This will be the biggest career mistake you ever make. And I was like, <laughs> Oh no, absolutely not. This'll be so fun. Uh, but she was right. And I actually, it was an interview based book and it was actually really fun. I enjoyed it, but like four people bought it. I actually trained at, uh, Dan, the beast Severn's wrestling Academy in Coldwater, Michigan. So I learned how to take bumps and do all the moves. And I even worked up a character. Uh, my finishing move was the tenure track, uh, cause I was teaching college already by then. And, uh, we, we had a lot of fun with it. A lot of ha ha. It, um, it took
0: you nine years to do the move.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it took me 9 years. Oh, that's so funny, dude. Um, I slowest
0: that, developing move. The slowest ever.
1: developing move in wrestling history. Gosh, that's funny. Um, so you're working on this theory that the NBA is a lot like the WWE now and I want to hear why you think this.
0: So, it's uh it's it's because the uh the NBA used to be about basketball. And then, you know, and then yeah. it, be, it became the, the entertainment side of it built out. So for a long time, it was just competition, you know, sort of the, the Bill Russell days and the Julius Irving days and the Larry Bird days. But like with MJ entered in commercialism. In, yeah. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I just mean like, no, no. All of a sudden, this is a moneymaker. There's yeah. branding. There's all this stuff. And what I feel like has happened in the last few years is that the game itself, the off season is far more intriguing than the season. Yeah. Just always player movement, player attitudes, player trades, all of this. So the draft, I feel like the draft is fun. Yeah. Who are the newcomers? Mm -hmm. But even the draft has has almost like player movement between teams. The movement of stars is the most interesting thing in the NBA from a, or the most talked about thing. You listen to podcasts, you know, it used to be, who's doing what exciting system, you know, that the warriors have re, you know, re-engineered basketball. And now it's Kevin Durant doesn't want to talk to his coach and, and so forth. And so my theory is that because of the drama and then you have this whole like alliances and there's villains, which, you know, in wrestling, they're called <laughs> heels Yes, dude. And, and all, all the stuff, ingredients are there. It's, this It's is amazing. all there. Yeah, And then like, the things that happen between the lines, which would be in the ring, are, are mm-hmm. kind of they only play a part in furthering the story, the drama, yeah. the you know and, and we watch like what's the body language of these players when they're on the court? Not like how's their crossover? Does does their ankle look healthy? Whatever, you know, like the actual sports-related stuff. It's uh it's man, did you see the look he gave the uh the guy on the other team? Did you It's it has become an entire sport about attitudes and relationships and drama. So it's either WWF or a soap opera or maybe the WWF is just the like, you know, fat guy's version of a soap opera. I'm not sure. Dude, it kind of is. So your
1: soap opera theory is good vis-a-vis the WWF. But but what's interesting to me about this is that I agree with everything you're saying, but I actually think the WWF does it better. Oh, of course they do. The, it's because that's they, they've been professionally doing this for decades Yeah, on so I heard a statistic the other night during NFL preseason, which I watched religiously, which speaks to the fact that I have no life. But um, at any rate... Somebody was saying that, like, I don't know, Titans-Jaguars on, like, week two of the preseason outdrew and outrated, like, game five of the NBA Finals or some crazy thing like that. And, you know, the NFL versus NBA, like, viewership conversation is a whole nother thing to talk about. But um, do you think this... WWE, it all being about the off season and alliances and good guy, bad guy stuff. Do you think that's hurting the product long term? I
0: do from the perspective of it's fan loyalty is no longer it. It, it has completely been uprooted, mm-hmm. you know, so it used to be that like if you were a, a, a Celtics fan. You were a fan of the Celtics, but that means you got to be a fan of certain players. You know these players that yeah. were drafted, they were developed, they were signed to follow-up contracts, they were with the team for seven, eight, ten years. Yeah. Now, at any point, you're basically just you just wait for your star player, the player who you should love, to say, "I don't want to play here anymore." Well, and yeah, and so, if you're
1: if you're, and, a and, a fan and then they're a just market. gone. Yeah, and and so you and I are both kind of screwed over by this in the sense that. If you're a fan in a city like Memphis or a city even like Minneapolis, where you know it's not a destination for free agents, you know that the player that you've grown to like, you're going to be saying goodbye to him when his contract is up or when he demands a trade.
0: Yeah, you know, and 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 that you know that's not that's not guaranteed to happen, but you see, like you know, James Harden did it, and Kevin Durant has done it, and you know, LeBron James. I don't think he's ever forced a trade, but he. You know, he swings his leverage around. That's for sure. Yeah, he and, just and, compiles
1: super teams and wherever then, he is.
0: Well, he yeah. used to compile super teams. Now he compiles teams that used to used to be super teams. He's like, <laughs> exactly. I want Russell Westbrook. I want Carmelo Anthony. You're like, you know, and if this yeah. was 2011, that would be a great team, but it's not right. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's the I think the player empowerment era. Is, I was just going to bring that up, I, which yeah. is a phrase that. In theory, sounds really good, especially when you think back to like in baseball, you know, Kurt Flood and and all, you know, that sort of thing to to create player, you know, any sort of leverage. That's a good thing. Yeah. But like Kevin Durant ruining the Nets. See, I mean, he has, he's probably ruined the Nets season. Yeah. And it's not the season yet. Yeah. Simply because nobody on that like nobody in that organization wants him around but they also can't afford to get rid of him. And so yeah. there's just sort of this like, well, what do we what do we do with this guy who when he's healthy, he's one of the top 3 or 4 players. He's yeah. miserable to be around. He's a total diva. He hates our coach. You know, <laughs> and so forth. Like, yeah. It's just it's that. And it so is. it's uh Yeah, it so it the WWF does it better because they, you know, they have like I don't know. I mean, I don't know the behind the scenes, but it seems like there are plot lines, there are arcs. There's the the drama is built up better and then resolved better, whereas this is just never resolved. It's just like it just seems whiny and petulant after a while. And yes, I sound like such a grumpy old man. uh, Yeah, but also I'm kind of a grumpy old man. So it's yeah, it's that. I think it is bad for the product on the court because it's really hard to be excited about the product on the court when it's very uneven, when the players are going to move on. Sports depends on loyalty to a certain degree. You know, very few people are watching sports because they're just a neutral party who enjoys a well-played game. That's right. People want to pour themselves into fandom, and the NBA has actually ruined fandom in a lot of ways.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it was fun to be a Pistons fan in the 80s because you knew... Bill Lambier was going to be there forever. And like, even though he was a douche, he was your douche. Um, you know, Isaiah Thomas. And those are such important like, guys in sports. Like, every they team really needs are. to have somebody
0: yeah. like if that guy was on another team, I would want to fight him. On my team, he's the yeah. best. Danny Ainge for the Celtics. You knew Kevin
1: McHale would be a Celtic forever in the eighties. Like, it's just the way you were, and it was a slow burn. It allowed you to get to know these guys as guys because You were probably subscribing to the local paper. There was a McHale feature every week and a half. And, like, you knew a lot about these guys, you know? And you kind of were invested and you cared. Whereas now, like, uh, Kevin Durant's not even in Brooklyn long enough to, to be liked before he starts, like, setting the bridges aflame, you know? And... Yeah, you don't even get to like this
0: person before he's worn out his yeah, I welcome. Yeah, I think he's played like 55 regular season games because of injuries. You know, or that's not true. Two years ago, he had like one really good season with them. But he's been there yeah. and done – he's had one good year with them. And then f- yeah. other than that, basically been injured and, and kind yeah. of just a pain in the butt.
1: So this is the downside to like social media player empowerment, that whole movement. And I think it speaks to maybe a league's job – is just to rein in sort of the inherent sin nature of its players and not to put too much of a theological fine point on it, but if social media is something that gives rise to my natural sin nature anyway and I'm running a league that employs, I don't know, 20, 20 celebrities times a factor of how many franchises there are, it's a lot to manage And so you've got all this potential for, like, sin nature to run amok and for people to make themselves unlikable all across the board. And it's just almost a recipe for disaster, right? And I think the only way the NFL Mm -hmm. skates through it is that there are so many guys, it's not really relying on the star system in the same way, right? Also, there
0: there also is no player empowerment in the NFL. I mean, quarterbacks are the closest, but, like... Almost every almost every contract is mostly non guaranteed. Yeah. Players have a short shelf life. Teams hold all the leverage. And from a from a putting out a product standpoint, that's actually better. Yeah. Because it teams is. build the product, which is I mean, if you think about if you think about any non human endeavor, you want good designers, good inventors, good marketers yeah. to, to put together the products. You're and, absolutely and it's right. Seldom. And the problem is, you know, we're talking the, about people, so it's, you know it's a little complex.
1: Well, but the NFL is built more like wrestling in terms of scarcity, right? So, if you loved watching wrestling in the '80s, and even if you love watching wrestling now, like it's on one or two nights a week, and the rest of the week you're waiting around. And to me, as someone who's just a casual at best fan of the NBA, the calendar is really. Squishy. The calendar's really hard to get my arms around because to me it feels like the season lasts 11 months. Like nine and a half of those months don't matter, right? Like none of it (laughs) matters because 85% of the teams make the playoffs and then the playoffs last like another six months. And then there's like a 20-minute break and then the draft and summer league. It's just a really uh, miserable calendar
0: to kind of build you know, interest in, you know? Well, and it's, I think, I think the, the American gluttony has ruined a lot of things, you know, where very few people recognize that limitations and scarcity improve things in general. You know, like if you, if you watch a show, like say Breaking Bad, that, that was released before total American binge watching gluttony was a thing. And so, They wrote the storyline, they finished the storyline, they finished the show. If that show was done today, odds are they would have been like, I think we can come up with another season or two just to keep printing money. And you're like, but this, the story was good up through season five, and now season six and seven are just trash. Or we're yeah. going to come out with prequels or whatever, which they kind of done a Better Call Saul, which is actually a good show. But yeah. it's, uh, y- you see that in basketball. Like off seasons make sports better. Yeah. Except they don't have one.
1: Yeah. And they don't have one. Football and needs one. That's it. And two, football needs one or else your body's just going to break apart. I mean, that's the that's the advantage that football has. There will always be an off season. Um, and I, I, I think the other main differences here are that in the case of wrestling, there are actually real writers crafting these characters and writing the storylines. And as a result, even the villains are likable. And in the NBA now, almost everybody's a villain, and almost none of them are likable um, because there's not somebody behind the scenes bringing out the likable qualities in somebody who on paper is
0: still a heel. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's no there's no charismatic villains in the NBA. It's just guys it. you wish would shut up. That's it. And like we would have felt the same way about
1: charismatic villains in the '90s if social media had been a thing. Like truly. Um, and a lot of guys who were baby faces in the '90s would have been heels with social media, and the heels would have been gradations less likable. Um, and really, the scarcity theory applies most heavily to social media because I wasn't hearing from these people every day, um, and that and that was good. That provided a little bit of you know distance between the star and the fan, which I think is a good thing. Um, I have one NBA question for you, Pipe. And this was this drifted across my transom, believe it or not, because I listened to an NFL podcast where they ever so occasionally talk about basketball. Um, I learned two things. I learned that the second overall pick in the draft uh broke his foot. He had a Liz Frank injury, so he's gonna be out the whole season. And then I learned that his name is Chet Holmgren, which has gotta be one of the worst NBA names of all time. <laughs>
0: this guy well, sounds it-
2: like it sounds,
0: I mean, he sounds like he he should have been playing with Dolph Lundgren, you know, like there's, there's a, yeah. th- if he, or, or like he, he was George Mikan's backup, you know, there's sort of a, there's an era right. specific thing there is what it kind of what it sounds like.
1: He was George Mikan's backup, or he was the 11th guy off the bench in the 1980s, you know, or he like teaches tennis at your parents' club, you know, <laughs> like this, this is not an NBA name in any way, shape or form. And then I Googled Chet Holmgren. And I saw a picture of him, and granted, I know little to nothing about modern basketball, but this does not look like a body that's going to hold up over any period of time. I want to hear your thoughts on Chet
2: Holmgren.
0: Well, I, I will uh, I will say my thoughts towards Chet Holmgren are inherently biased because he played high school ball in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, okay. like ten minutes from where I where I grew up. He, he played at a school called Minnehaha Academy, which is mm-hmm. so funny to me because when I was growing up, Minnehaha Academy was like a solid Christian school for, you know, generally upper crust kids, but not like yeah. fabulously wealthy, just, you know, yeah. but usually, uh, m- more upper crust. And yeah. their sports teams were bad. Like, they would occasionally yeah. have, like, a decent soccer team because, of course, you do with a bunch of upper-crusty white kids. They probably—maybe yeah. their tennis teams were good. I don't they know. They
1: dominated the country club sports. And but then somehow
0: else. in the last few years, they have put out two, two picks in the top five in the NBA draft. Jalen Suggs uh-huh. uh, to Orlando and then Chet Holmgren. Both of them played there. And uh, and like and they've 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 won state titles. They've been a powerhouse. So it's a weird transition in the last twenty years to see them go from this just sort of like good academic Christian school to like sports powerhouse that probably recruits like crazy. But uh, so I'm biased towards him as a Minnesota kid. The biggest knock on him coming out was is is he gonna is he gonna hold up because he is so thin. Yeah. But if you go watch highlights of him. Mm-hmm. He is, he is silly as a basketball player. Like just, he's a s- seven foot, seven foot one guy. His jumper is just smooth. He's yeah. got handles. He's, he's a phenomenal rim protector. Uh, Interesting. And, and just, uh, he's a really good player and, and kind of in a team context. So not like a ball hog kind of guy can yeah. kind of play any style. Um, Mhm. But then again, how many seven-two really skinny guys with foot <laughs> issues have yeah. really good NBA careers? Yeah. Um and I don't think he's it's had a, a ton list. of injury history, yeah. but he just he looks like a walking injury risk. So to your
1: first point about mini haha, I actually have a theory. And this episode is getting weirdly like um socioeconomic and it's going in a weird direction. But I I've been thinking about this for a few years. I actually think rich people are taking sports back over and this is born of like coaching high school football in Michigan like a decade ago and, and noticing that like a lot of Detroit schools were having to get rid of their football programs for financial reasons. Um, And just being sad about that, but realizing like with the rise of the boutique coach, the rise of the Academy, the rise of private schools proliferating all over the place in cities like Nashville and even Memphis and yeah. even in our area where there's a lot of talent, like the rich are kind of taking sports back over again and it's weird. And I think you're seeing a different kind of person matriculating through the system now as a result. And, um, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm not assigning value to it. It's just a thing that I've noticed. Well, I mean, it's, you notice that thing.
0: Yeah. It sports, making it in sports has always been a product of who can get their eyes on you, you know? Yeah. So like it, y- you go back and look at the history of, uh, of players that come out of like central Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, that th- there's sort of a pipeline to like Penn state and Pitt and these different things. So, so football players out of like, uh, what is Al- It was Alatuna or something like yeah, that. Alatoona. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that kind of thing. And so it's just, who can get their eyes on you? Well, it used to be in, in, There's this pendulum swing because in high school sports, basketball was always an urban sport. It always, like, inner city high schools, like the one I went to, and, uh, like, the Minneapolis City Conference was always, always had the two or three of the best teams, like, dominant teams. And in the last 15 years, they opened up enrollment. Yeah. And these suburban high schools, like Hopkins is is a Twin City suburb, started to recruit the city kids. So the kids who used to go to Minneapolis North were Minneapolis- Patrick Henry end up at Hopkins and Hopkins just goes on a run and they start, you know, which so that the power shifts now, all the, the recruiters are going there. The college coaches are going there and the city schools are are being diminished. Football's always been a rich guy sport in when it comes to an urban versus suburban context. When you get out into small towns, it's just like, this is our sport, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like urban schools have never been football powerhouses for the most part, except maybe in Texas, because Texas is odd is odd when it comes to football because it's a money thing and it's a training thing and it's an off season program thing. I mean, it's a it's a religious thing in terms of like yeah the consistency of the program throughout the year. So like I played in an inner city school. We didn't even have an off season program. Yeah. Like there, there was no offseason weightlifting. If there right. was, it was cuz some players tried to get some guys together. The coaches yeah. didn't do anything. There was there was no like plan for us, which is one of the many reasons we were bad. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that that sport in my experience has always been, well yeah, the suburban teams always destroy at football. Yeah. The weird yeah. thing has been watching basketball move towards the money. I think the I think AAU has something to do with that. Uh-huh. The fact that recruiting now happens at every level you know yeah. eighth graders are being recruited not just people yeah. recruited to college and so forth right no i know it's crazy and and football
1: though football i used to think of as more of a sport for the people you know and i'm thinking of of states like pennsylvania ohio texas um where you would have these good programs and like i think traditionally we would think of you know football is kind of a blue a blue collar populist sport in that the talent just rose to the top but like living here, visiting, you know, blah, blah, Christian Academy. And I'm air quoting Christian in Nashville or whatever, where like, Trent Dilfer is the coach,
0: and money grows on trees. Well, and in there's... in the South, every Christian school was started between like 1967 and 1972, so that they didn't they could de facto not desegregate. Yeah, they could and de so facto
1: segregate, and but... then
0: they just you know then it was but it was started by rich Baptists or rich Church of Christ or rich Methodists yeah. or whatever, and so they're all Christian academies, but they're like you know Brentwood Academy in Nashville is a Christian school. Yeah because there are some christians who go there you know and sure. they do they do some chapels i've spoken there i mean you you might have spoken yeah. there too at some point and yeah. uh, it's but football powerhouse consistently right and, and ironically they yeah. now
1: just poach and cherry pick the best black athletes in the in the city to come play for them um it's an interesting world that we
2: live in pipe let's take a break uh and we'll get back into what impacts you every day
1: all right pipe we're back um let's talk nfl and let's talk rookies that we're excited to watch um one of my favorite things about the preseason one of my favorite things about the starting of the nfl season is the young guy factor uh the kind of juice that young guys can bring to a roster i've got a list of rookies i've got five or six here that i'm for various reasons excited to watch this season um i want to hear some that you're excited to
0: watch who you got This was maybe so you know you gave you sent me a handful of categories of players that let's talk about these different things. This was maybe the hardest one to fill out. Oh no, because looking back at even just the like, I went through the first four rounds of the NFL draft and I was like, none of them are exciting. Mm. The they are. I think I think there's a ton of opportunities for players to really help teams. I think the players who are gonna do the best right out of the gate are at positions that are not inherently exciting to watch, like yeah. defensive line and offensive line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like I think I think the, the, the crop of offensive tackles is probably gonna do wonders for the teams they're on and play right. well and improve. You know, you're gonna see like Ike Aquanu and Evan Neal and those guys like that. That's yeah, they're, they're but offensive tackle play is only exciting to watch for, you know, you. So yeah. It was this was a tough one. So the, the the handful of names I wrote down are a little bit more like in this almost like the sleeper rookie category. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really interested to see how fast Kenny Pickett can take the quarterback job in Pittsburgh, and if yep. he takes it, can he run with it? Because Pittsburgh is set up to be, you know, they have a playoff caliber roster and a, and a complete question market quarterback. Yeah. So if Pickett is good. They they could you know potentially win that division or compete in that division, yeah. Uh, if he's if he's not, well they've got Mitch Trubisky and they're going to win seven games. So <laughs> um, that's that he's he's won because it he was also a big question mark as a pick, the only first yeah. round quarterback, and there was a lot of like, is should he be? I don't know. Yeah. So he, I would say I'm excited at the the possibilities there, not because I'm going to go scout Kenny Pickett with any consistency, but he's, he's one yeah. who is, who is uh, first one on your list or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Dude, I've, I've, I like the Kenny Pickett thing. I like the Steelers thing. I just admire the way they run their team from year to year. I've always kind of admired the Steelers. Um, I'm interested in the Trubisky narrative just because I'm interested in, in two, two to three reclamation project guys that if they hit, they could be really good values for their franchises. Um, Marcus Mariota is one. Um, Trubisky is one. We'll get to the Baker Mayfield thing in a minute. I've, I've got a set of two rookies for the Houston Texans, believe it or not, that okay. I'm really interested in. I, one of them is
0: going to be on my list, I'm almost certain.
1: Yeah, it's Damian Pierce Yep, uh, at running back. He has Emmett Smith qualities to me. I watched him last night. I've watched him the whole preseason. He's from Florida like Emmett Smith. Like his vision, his change of direction, the juice that he brings, like getting through the hole is remarkable and kind of concurrent with that is is a guard that they drafted in the first round named Kenyon Green. Uh, he played his first preseason action last night. He was dinged up early in camp. He's incredible. Uh, Kenyon Green was one of my favorite linemen coming out. And I've kind of done a deep dive into the Texans roster just because, quite frankly, I was Fascinated by how bad they were.
2: And I wanted to
1: <laughs> I wanted to dig in and see if there was any reason to be hopeful. But like they've they've quietly compiled almost a like nineties Cowboys vibe to me, in that the offensive line's gonna look totally different this year. Um the left side of the line is gonna be um Laramie Tunsil, who's a star, Kenyon Green, whose upside is tremendous. Um, Justin Britt is their center. He's really solid. Right guard will be AJ Cann, who's kind of a journeyman who they got from uh, Jacksonville. And then their right tackle is Titus Howard, who's a former first-round pick. Point being, I think it's going to be a really good run-blocking line. Uh, they've got some big physical pieces at receiver. Davis Mills is like if you were going to craft like a 1990s quarterback in a lab, it would be Davis Mills. Um. So, I don't know. I'm interested there. And I think Damian Pierce
0: is going to have a really nice season. Your thoughts on all that? I Similar to you. I mean, I didn't do the deep dive into the line because I'm not, uh, and, and their whole roster because I only have so much uh, masochism in me. but yeah, uh, you have a life. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but what I have been intrigued by is their roster is bereft of stars other than Laramie yeah. Tunsel. But they have quietly assembled a whole bunch of professional football players, at least on offense. Yeah. Where it's, these are guys who, you know, are, you know, they have, they have like, they're five running backs deep at guys who have been effective football players. Now, a lot of them are old and whatever. I think Damian Pierce yeah. will stand out at the at the top. He's an interesting one because he had the same, he had like the Alvin Kamara issue coming out where mm-hmm. his tape in college was really good, but his coaching was so bad. Like he never got more than 10 yeah. carries in a game kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, that, that coach, I don't think coaches there anymore. And so there's yeah. this, uh, he just, he was so underused. It's like, well, how good is this guy? Fact is might be the best running back in this draft when all is said and done, you know, breeze, yeah. breeze hall is pretty good, but I, he could be, he could at least be the most productive. Um, I had uh, I had Davis Mills in a different category. You sent as ah, interesting as an as an intriguing player, but again, he was a third or fourth round pick. But he had been yeah. a five star recruit to Stanford, and then that team was really bad, and and uh, just kind of a rough situation with some injuries. And so he's he was basically like moldable lump of clay coming out, and they may have a a third round legitimate NFL starter on their hands. If if yeah. all comes together, which would be really fun, and then the sneaky best player on that team, well, Tunsil's mm-hmm. the best player, is Brandon Cooks. I love Brandon Cooks. Brandon always Cooks, been a Brandon Cooks. Fan. I can't remember the exact exact statistic, but I think he's the only player to have a thousand yards in seven straight seasons in the NFL right now.
1: Yeah, if you play fantasy and you're listening to this, like you you will get value with Brandon Cooks. He always has a thousand yards. Uh, catches a bunch of balls sneakily like the rest of the receiving course kind of rounding out they've got a kid out of michigan named nico collins on the other side who's he's a sort of he's the, a
0: big kind of jump ball guy right yeah he's
1: the ball winner you know he's the move the sticks guy the post-up guy uh i really like him i think this team is going to be frisky they were actually frisky last year with way less talent and um, you know they've they've raised the level of talent, and uh, I think they're going to be a tough out. I've got two quick defensive ends I want to get your take on. Okay, um, one is George Karloftis, plays for the Chiefs, and I like him. I think he gets nine and a half sacks and sets the edge, and is like a more talented sort of Mike Vrabel type. You know, not spectacular, but very strong, uh, very good, uh, kind of speed to power guy. Um, my question to you is: Who was the last NFL George that mattered? Um, I know, I know,
0: I'm missing some. Hmm. I know, I'm just not thinking of it. Um, I mean, I can. All, I, I'm thinking of last names. There's Eddie George. There's Jeff George. Yeah, there's actually name, there's George. actually two two Georges this year who are rookies. Yeah, George could, Pickens. George Pickens, which is a great yeah. football name, by the way. Fantastic. Uh, Works in any era. Yeah, 1950s, 1990s, right yep. now. Perfect. I'm trying to think of other – here's the thing. We try to do this, and then our listeners respond with the one that came to their mind, and they're like, you idiots, I can't believe you forgot this guy. like, well, you know, this is us not doing any research. This just came up. Dude, Um, I'm thinking of two obscure, like, 80s
1: running backs. The Colts had a guy named George Wansley, who I always liked. (laughs) The the Giants had a guy named George Adams. But I'm having a hard time with with first name George – Relevant NFL guys. Maybe it's a short list.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It was my grandfather's name. It's a great name, but it uh, is a great name.
1: I love it. Yeah. Uh, the other defensive end that I'm intrigued by is a Detroit Lion. It's Aiden Hutchinson. My question to you is, and, and my question just in general about Aiden Hutchinson, does he have more than one move? Like he's kind of the filthy inside swim move guy. When he shoots his gun on that and it works, it's always a spectacular play, but it doesn't always work. Um, I, I wonder if he's going to be more than a one-trick pony in the league. I, I hope so.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I kept hearing him be compared to, like, the Bosa's because yeah. of, it. well, A, he's white, and nobody knows how to do a cross-racial comparison, even if we're yeah. really talking about his talent and technique. Uh, yeah. And because he was a Big Ten defensive end who's who's not the most athletic guy, but he's plenty athletic— yeah. But the fact is, the Boses were are, are both technicians. You know, just
2: yeah,
0: they are. You know, neither of them are going to be like twenty sack guys. But like, if they get if they get fewer than nine in a year, you're like, oh, they must have been injured. Um, yeah, because sure. they just they they're just they're nine to twelve sacks. They're technicians. They're constantly in the backfield. Yeah. I think Hutchinson could become that, and I think yeah. he's a little bit more of like a frothing at the mouth energy guy. Mm-hmm. which you know there's a there's a place for those guys in the NFL and it's yeah. a, and it's a good place to start because if you start with effort and you learn technique well you're, you're pretty dangerous I heard one scout say uh it was, it was a kind of a, a draft scout kind of guy he just said he said I don't understand why if Aiden Hutchinson went number two overall Karloftis went 26 or whatever it was he said because yeah. I don't see them as that different as players you know if they yeah. they sh- he had them rated much closer together. Not necessarily yeah. saying that Hutchinson was overdrafted, but that they're both really good players who probably should have been closer to the front of the first round.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, and like, watching the preseason tape, Karloftis was so noticeable. Like, he was making a play every series, and it might have been a, you know, a, a wide zone play that he blew up, or it might have been a quarterback pressure or sometimes a sack, like... He was just noticeable. He was making a play all the time, whereas you watch a guy like um, I don't know Jermaine Johnson or Kayvon Thibodeau or whatever, and these guys were kind of invisible in the preseason. And it just makes me wonder what the impact is going to be there. I've got another one. I've got. Well, um,
0: let, let me let me yeah. throw out a, let me throw out one here. Yeah. And again, this is this is a bit of a deep cut. So you know, Damian Pierce. We mentioned him. He's third round running yeah. back but could be, you know, he could be an 11 or 1200 yard rusher this year. Uh, James Cook for Buffalo is one who I'm intrigued by because Buffalo has a fantastic offense. Josh Allen has far, you know, we've talked about this. Probably my worst NFL prediction ever was dumping all over him when they drafted him and then he (laughs) became, you know, the top three or four quarterback in the NFL. Jesus and and cleats. Yeah. Right. And, uh, they don't run the ball very much, but they like yeah. to throw to running backs, and they haven't had a guy to do that too. And a, and Cook has some juice, and yeah. I'm, I don't think he's going to have like rookie of the year numbers, but he seems like the kind of guy who can take an offense that is really good and add a dimension that just makes defenses go, well, we don't have any hope now. I quit. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm no, intrigued exactly. to see how they what they do with him.
1: Yeah, the stars are aligned for him to come in and make an immediate noticeable impact. They've kind of tried it with a couple of other guys the last couple of years. They really need somebody who can move the sticks consistently in short yardage and just kind of get three or four yards consistently so that Josh Allen doesn't have to do it. You know, like their MO in short yardage and near the goal line has been QB powers with Josh Allen, which is amazing, but I worry about like the body breaking down there, a lock Cam Newton. You know, in Cam's window ended up being just relatively short compared to what it maybe could have been. Um, I worry about that. So I I think I'm with you. I think James Cook can play a real big role. Um, I want to talk about one more rookie and then we'll move on. Kind of in the context of what his team is doing. Uh, It's Iki Ikuanu. You mentioned him earlier. He's a left tackle, really physical in the run game. Um, You We'll start immediately for them. But more than Iki Aquanu, I'm really interested in this like zero quarterback strategy that the Panthers are rolling
0: out. In the (laughs) is this is this like the Midwestern interesting? Like what you're really saying is, I boy, no, I'm actually, I'm truly,
1: I'm truly interested because as I think I mentioned in the last show, like my son and I have been going back and looking at all these teams who, who like won without a quarterback, and there have actually been a surprising number of them. And if this works in any form or fashion for Carolina, they're going to come out of it with a cheaper option at quarterback that's going to leave them free to put resources elsewhere. Um, Because even if Baker Mayfield plays well, he's not going to get a Kyler Murray type deal. You know, he's going to be, you know, he's going to end up getting a middling contract and they'll end up having a cheap guy. And I look at their roster on paper and I go, with a healthy Christian McCaffrey, a healthy Terrace Marshall to be a second or third option at receiver, um, you know, they invested in tight end last year in the draft. Their O-line will get a little bit better. Their defense is kind of frisky. I don't know. Like I could see the stars aligning for this team in a way that makes them relevant kind of immediately. They could be a surprise team is what I'm saying. Um, in, a, in a zero oh, quarterback man. kind of
0: world. I, oof, I don't see it at all. I mean, I, I think yeah. they seem they seem to be in the same boat as... I mean, who are the teams we were talking about? You know, sort of the rebuilding strategies in the last episode we did where the idea yeah. is put a roster in place and then plug a young quarterback into it. They're close yeah. to that. You know, that, that seems are. to be the direct... Because DJ Moore... Had one of the quietest 90 catch, thousand yard season ever. And he's been good his his career. Robbie Anderson's yeah. a good second or third receiver. Terrence Marshall has potential. Christian McCaffrey, when healthy, is a top two or three running back. Yeah. Strong defensive line or defensive front. But yeah. um damn, their quarterbacks are so bad. And yeah, B- Baker, we don't even know if Baker's good. You know, Baker, Baker had one really good year. And it was in the kind of system that has been really good for quarterbacks who aren't good. You know, that's, that's sort of Shanahan timing. It's all scripted for you. You don't need to make any reads thing. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I, I, what, so it seems to me that they're they're probably going to, their best bet this year is six to seven wins. Here's what changed it for me
1: and due to having no life and due to, being the sole owner of like a couple of shares of Sam Darnold still, I went back and I watched the Darnold games from last year where Christian McCaffrey was healthy and they were impressive, you know, and Darnold was borderline impressive in those games. And like the makeup of the field was completely different. Like with McCaffrey on the field, the defense had to do math that they didn't have to do without him. And like, the minute he got hurt, the wheels came off the offense. The wheels came off of Sam Darnold. They became really easy to defend, and the season was over. But I think if McCaffrey stays healthy for the whole year, maybe the field opens up again, and and the quarterback play looks different as a result. I, I, I could envision us living in a world where if McCaffrey had stayed healthy the whole year, Darnold is still the starter. Mayfield's not even on the roster. And we're not talking about Darnold in like, Oh my gosh, he's transcendent type terms, but we're talking about him in like Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins kind of terms, where he's the the adequate guy who could pilot the thing somewhere if things break right.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I I wanted to to see him succeed. I think we we yeah. were both. You are more adamant about it, but I definitely was. I was like, man, it would be great to see that. I it, he was a high high pick, etc. But. Yeah, I I think the real issue there is that I don't have any confidence in their coaches to yeah. to create a context where where that team can succeed. You know, if, if somebody like uh, why am I blanking on his name, uh, the Browns' head coach, um, yeah, Stefanski. Stefanski, if Stefanski had gone there and was just running that sort of system where it's just it's a tight system and yeah. it puts players in a position to succeed, especially quarterbacks who are limited and it's, you know, it's, it's a proven system. I'd have so much more confidence. Whereas they have this weird thing where like, yeah, two years ago, they had two or three, like with Teddy Bridgewater's quarterback, they had two or 3000 yard receivers. McCaffrey has been a record, you know, kind of a, a record setting running back in terms of, uh, multi, uh, multi all-purpose yardage, et cetera. And, uh, except that this last year they had a quarterback who wasn't that much worse than Teddy Bridgewater and the wheels just fell off and yeah and if the loss of McCaffrey makes your whole offense fall apart you're not a good coach yeah so I'm uh, yeah I'm very I don't know I don't have the confidence you do I could see a scenario in which they have a very you know solid offense but not necessarily with that coaching staff
1: yeah no I get it I do uh there's a part of me that wants to see this zero quarterback strategy work just to prove that it can, um, so I'll be watching them with with interest. Pipe you got any more rookies
0: you want to talk about or should we take a break and, just, and come back and just one more uh, he was yeah, probably my movie. favorite player coming out in the draft in terms of uh just sort of I love the the mold of this guy and it's Kyle Hamilton mm-hmm. for the Ravens oh, yeah. Um, yeah. so he's a 6'4", six four two hundred and twenty pounds safety. And he went to a team and when the Ravens drafted him, I just kind of threw my hands up and I was like, of course they did because they're the, they're, you know, Arizona has been drafting these multi-positional guys and, and ruining them for the last four years. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. Baltimore takes guys and gets the most out of them, puts them in a position to succeed, figures out how to turn them into a weapon. So I just, I'm very interested to see what Hamilton turns into and how they use him. And, uh, because i think um baltimore they lost wink martindale who'd been their defensive uh coordinator for years but they kept a guy from inside that staff to keep yeah. running probably a similar system and i yeah i could mm-hmm. just see it being uh i could see him being really really good as he develops in that system yeah i
1: could see that too absolutely and baltimore you're right they always find value in the draft and interestingly enough an elite safety that turns the ball over is one of the markers of all these teams that I've looked at that have managed to win without an elite quarterback. Like, um, they've, they've all had good safeties. They've all had secondaries that have forced turnovers. Uh, pipe, let's take a break.
2: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact.
1: Uh, We'll come back. We'll hit another category. All right, Piper, we're back. I want to talk about Guys that are going to fall off the cliff this year. Um, So names that we've been familiar with for a long time that by the end of the season, it's over. It's a wrap. It's irrelevant. Uh, I have a few
0: of these on my list. Um, Who do you have in this category? This was a tough one for me because I don't want it to be true for anybody except one player. I want one player to be (laughs) done this year, and it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, Uh, Yes, I I don't know that I would go so far as to predict it. Although the Packers have done an awful lot to make his life harder, which makes me glad. So, yeah, uh, he he's on my wish list for this category, not yeah. necessarily my prediction list. In in almost across the board. Otherwise, I just I want the guys to hang on, whoever they are. Yeah. I mean, just good players are fun to watch. I don't want to I don't want to the, want these guys to fall off a cliff. But yep. Rodgers is one that I would love to see. Just yeah, fu- just be done. You've know, you you've talked about quitting. You've talked about leaving the Packers. You're a crazy yeah. weirdo. Uh, and you've ruined done. my team's life many times. Just go away. Yeah, just go away. I had the Packers in general on this
1: list. <laughs> uh, I think this is the year they fall off the cliff. And uh, like you, I will kind of enjoy it. I had, and this was sad for me because I have great affection for this player. Uh, I had Taylor Luan on this list. Uh, the Titans left tackle. I actually think due to the Tyron Smith injury in Dallas, they should trade him to the Cowboys. They could probably fleece the Cowboys right now um, because the Cowboys rookie that they drafted is not it. He's not the guy, the kid they got out of Tulsa. Um, Luan, I think I, th- I think the the Titans in general are like a, a month and a half away from realizing that they're staring down the barrel of a full rebuild. And um, I think yeah. trading Luan, fleecing the Cowboys,
0: uh, is the move at this point. I think I think that's it. I mean, I could I could see Luwan having some more years, but you know, no longer being in the conversation for you know top ten tackles. Just sort of a like yeah. kind of moving into a Riley Reef, uh, yeah, period. Yeah. Except not paid quite quite like he you know he he'd be overpaid at that point. I I think the Titans' offense is probably encapsulates this category. You know, they lost Arthur Smith. Last year, their offense wasn't great. It's partly due to injuries. Derrick Henry got hurt, which is a very frightening thing. When when a running mm-hmm. back has had the heaviest workload in the last five years, and then he gets hurt, is he going to bounce back? I think Titans fans just sort of assume that he is. I wouldn't assume that. Uh, I don't have any confidence in Ryan Tannehill. I think Tannehill was totally a system quarterback. He's yeah. He's a. He's an NFL quarterback, but he's not. He's not a. T- he's. He's worse than Kirk Cousins. Let's put it that way. Like the the Kirk Cousins line is that there was a, I think it was the athletic NFL podcast. It might've been the ringer NFL podcast did sort of it and above or below the Kirk Cousins line. (laughs) That was their kind of their Mendoza line. And, uh, and I think Tannehill is well below that. Uh, I think their receivers are garbage. I think their offensive line is worse than it ever has been. They could be a bottom five to seven offense this year and just genuinely abysmal to watch.
1: I absolutely agree, and I I kind of think that they will be that. I got another fall-off-the-cliff guy for you. Russell Wilson. I, this is intriguing to me. I know there's a lot of Russell Wilson hype. It was a big trade, big storyline in the offseason. He kind of indicated that he was tired of being in Seattle despite having great weaponry at wide receiver. Um, he gets traded to Denver. Here's my issue with Russell Wilson. A Russell Wilson that doesn't scramble and run the ball is Doug Flutie. He's a five ten quarterback. Um, yeah, he's got a good deep ball, but I'm not in on the rest of the Russell Wilson experience minus the running element. I think he falls off the cliff. Is, Where are you at? Is he sort
0: of? Is he sort of Allen Iverson? You know, in the same way that Cam Newton was. There's just this explosive, magnetic talent who, when it goes, it's just gone. There is no decline.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's like an old boxer that, like, you know, he gets knocked out one too many times, and then the next fight's a disaster, and you're like, "Oh,
0: it's over." You know, this guy's career is over. Um, See, i I think I think Wilson has more in him because his arm is so good. Um, yeah, I mean, he he really is. He he really is a you know phenomenal quarterback. It's it's mm-hmm. a and their their coach Hackett helped build an offense that really worked for Aaron Rodgers and sort of, and and Rodgers wasn't Wilson in terms of running, but he was, he had a reputation as being an off schedule quarterback and they built an offense that pulled him on schedule and was, has been really good. So I, I'm not sure that it's there, but I can totally see the potential for it. Who else do you have in this category? Oh man, this one was a tough one. I think, um, um, I mean, it, it's it's hard not to say Tom Brady just be, but like I, but I have no concept of what it looks like for Tom Brady to get, to get worse. He's only, yeah. he's only been good and better in his career. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the semi retirement makes me wonder if he's entering the, like, I'm just, I, he might retire mid season, you know, like yeah. just be like, I don't totally. have it guys. My, totally. if my heart's not in it and kind of Brett far this thing a little bit. Uh, that well, unlike the two-week training camp
1: hiatus, you know, kind of mysterious. Yeah, and does Tom Brady need to go to training camp? Probably not, but um, still, there's a sense of yeah, is he losing interest I mean, in this? What is
0: this going to look? They like? They have a new head coach. Who I mean, yes, he was on their staff before, but like, there's there's a there's a change there. He's not in training camp. They've Gronkowski has retired at least for now. Chris Godwin is injured. Like, there's just. There's a lot of fragility around that team. They could be a 13 win team. They they might be. Yeah, and you talked about them not yeah. being very good. You talked them about them being a disappointment in the last episode, and I yeah. I could totally see that. Here's a question for you. Yeah, does Bill Belichick enter this falling off a cliff conversation? Oh man,
1: I'm the wrong person to ask. Like I'm, I have I will always have eyes for Bill Belichick. So I I don't think I can see him through the lens of, of clarity just yet. I, I'm inclined, similar to your statement about Brady, right? Like you've only ever seen him being good. I've only ever seen Belichick really being good. So I'm inclined to give more grace there than I maybe should. Um, also, that's born of thinking that the kind of tinkering that they're doing with the roster is generally good. Like... I do think their receiving core will be better than it was last year. Um, See,
0: that's I'm not sure about that, though, because the last year, not this offseason, but the previous offseason, yeah. they spent – well, first of all, they're capped out, which they, yeah, they, they don't have a lot down. of room, which is not a thing that they, that they've historically done. Two years ago, they spent more money in free agency than, I think, any other team, and it was to bring in mediocre wide receivers and mediocre tight ends. and. Yeah that's still who they have because they didn't have any money to spend. So, like, Kendrick Bourne is their best wide receiver. Uh, yeah. Maybe Devontae, uh, not, not Devontae Adams, Devontae Parker. Yeah, Devontae Parker. Maybe Devontae yeah. Parker is, but, like, Devontae Parker's never been good for longer than six games at a time. They have, you know, Johnu Smith and Hunter Henry at tight end, which is entirely mm. fine, but the, the two tight ends hasn't been good since Gronk and, and Aaron Hernandez played together. And yeah. uh, there's just, yeah, there's, I don't know. I I don't necessarily love what they've done with their roster offensively. They have running yeah. backs who can do one thing or another, but not both. So, like, when Damian Harris yeah. is on the field, you're like, oh, they're running the ball. And then they yeah. swap it out and bring it a passing game. They lost James White, who has been a, a mainstay there. So, I just, I don't know. They, they, might, they might just be, I mean, I think he's a good enough coach to make them not bad, but I think their yeah. roster is pretty bad. Yeah, I can definitely, like, <laughs> tip the cat to that
1: arc. Tip the cap to that argument being valid. And, you know, if we get down the road here and they're sub-500 and they finish the season sub-500, I don't think I'll be shocked. Um, But I could also see a world where they show market improvement over last year's team, and the general feeling is they're going in a good direction and they can be competitive with Buffalo. Um, Let's do... Let's do one last category. I have
0: here. I have one more for the fall of a cliff category. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure My it totally mom. fits, but uh, it is it's the guy who we're gonna find out this year. He he actually has no potential and he's just bad. Yeah. And it's it's Daniel Jones. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Daniel Jones um, has been bad, but it's always been credited to terrible coaching, which is yeah. true. He has had terrible coaching. I don't yes. think Brian Dayball turns him into a real NFL quarterback, despite the fact that Dayball has been a really good offensive coach and worked wonders with Josh Allen. I just I think Daniel Jones just isn't good. And I think Yeah. I think the I Giants agree. are gonna be in a rough spot next year when they're like, Well, we have a deep wide receiver core, we've paid, you know, we got Saquon Barkley in the last year of his contract, we've invested a lot in an offensive line. We won too many games to get a top ten pick, but but we don't have a quarterback we have any faith in.
1: Yeah. I mean, as far as buyers on Jimmy Garoppolo, they're not one of the teams that comes up often, but actually I think that would be a good move for them. You know, they need to just decide to be done with Daniel Jones. I agree a hundred percent. We've seen enough games. We've actually seen enough games with like uh, legitimate talent around him. I mean, yeah, their offensive line wasn't great, but they had, you know, a a top running back that they invested a lot of draft capital in. They've had some receivers that they brought in. It's not like the cupboard was completely bare for Daniel Jones and he just hasn't been good. Um, So I'm with you. And I think, you know, maybe they could sneakily be a buyer on, um, on Garoppolo. Here's a question vis-a-vis Garoppolo. Why are we not talking about the Browns as a buyer? Um, Deshaun's missing 11 games even if he comes back, he's going to come back and be bad because he hasn't played in two years. Um, they have a good roster, and Jacoby Brissett is bad. Like, why? Why isn't it like a slam dunk that they're
0: the buyer for Jimmy Garoppolo? I think, I think they might be. They would be probably near the front of the line if he gets cut. Which seems yeah. like a possibility because then they can go sign him for like veteran minimum or like you know sure. whatever they get you know an incentive based contract yeah. or something like that. They can pay him five million dollars and it's a huge bargain as opposed to what he's. But making. they gave up their yeah. all of their draft capital for forever to get Deshaun yeah. Watson, and uh, and so to trade more for him, also yeah I mean and I th- I think they just he's a stopgap both because yeah. he's because he's uh you know he's in the last year of his contract if he was traded but trading for him means you have to absorb probably 15-20 yeah. million dollars at least and i don't yeah. know if they have it yeah. so yeah yeah i i could see them sign him i think the giants should sign him uh, mm-hmm. yeah it the, the giants are they are one adequate quarterback away from com- for competing uh in that division cuz it's not a good division and they yeah, don't and have it's not it. a
1: good it's not a good quarterback division.
0: I mean, I mean Carson Jack Wentz stinks.
1: Good. Yeah, Dak is good. Carson Wentz stinks. I think Jalen Hurts stinks. I'm in the minority on that, but like, um, you know, it's a, it's a very winnable division. Um, if they were to put a competent quarterback on the field, it would get it would get interesting. They could be a tough out. Um, do we have time to do any more categories? I just looked at the clock. We've been I've got I've got time round. to do one more. Let's do one more. Let's do um, let's do your favorite. High ceiling, low floor guys. Okay. Guys that could really go either way. I have one that I want to talk about because he's so fun, but such a disaster, and it's Kadarius Tony. Um I had him in fantasy last year in our league, and I had such a terrible season in fantasy. He was kind of the only fun part of it for me. And he had like two and a half games where he was like crazy joystick video game skill set, and you're just watching it going – I haven't seen this since Barry Sanders, but then there's always something with Kadarius Tony. Like, (laughs) his cleats don't fit. He's out there barefooted in practice. Like, he's just not practicing. He's had every injury known to man in, like, one year. Um, It's going to be a disaster, but I'm still, like, so intrigued by the upside. Um, Your thoughts on that or guys that you have on this list?
0: Oh, I think Tony's a great pick because he... Yeah, he... I mean physical talent wise is phenomenal and moves yeah when you when you watch him with the ball in his hands you're like oh that is yeah that's rare uh his his issue has always just been getting on the field either because he's fighting with teammates or wearing the wrong cleats and getting suspended or being sick or whatever like he's just it's just it's a a, you know comedy of of errors basically but he's he could be their he could be their number one receiver easily this year, you know. Lead the yeah. lead the team in catches and touchdowns and rec- they, they don't have a great receiving core, they just have an adequate one. No. And he could be their star. Um I agree. But again, Daniel Jones throwing the ball might be a might be a limit on that. Uh I had two players on this list. I'll just list them both. Yeah. And uh yeah. we can talk about whichever one's more interesting to you. One is Cortland Sutton. Yeah. And one is Trey Lance. Yeah. Yeah. The Trey Lance
1: thing could really i mean it's a cliche to say it could go either way but um and i think it it could actually there's a third way where he's just jalen
0: hurts you know what i mean where good fantasy quarterback bad real quarterback that's it the rushing
1: upsides there and they go seven and ten because he can't hit the broad side of a barn um i think that's actually the the most likely outcome to me i actually watched him last night in the preseason and i was underwhelmed again they they weren't you know, rolling out their full complement of receivers and even offensive linemen, they're arresting guys. So it wasn't a true snapshot of what you're going to get. But I think with a guy like that, you're looking for the electrifying play, the upside play, the play where like instincts just kick in and he has a 22-yard scramble out of third and long for a first down and you're just like, oh my gosh. Like the guy that it's easy to fall in love with and I just haven't seen it yet. Um, and, and again, like I find myself always defending kind of the, you know, the old pro that gets shuffled out too quickly. I think we're going to look back on Jimmy G's body of work in a few years and think differently about it. He's been really successful. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm not there on Trey Lance. I, I would like for it to go well, because to your point, watching people be successful, especially guys like that, it's fun. Um, He's got a great name. Trey Lance is a fantastic football name. (laughs) A a fictional football player name. Right. It's like a football player name out of a novel from the 1950s. You know what I mean? Like, it's an incredible name. And he had the one transcendent season in college where he had, like, 28 touchdowns and no picks and 1,100 rushing yards. And I think something mythic happened with Trey Lance where he was always sort of the... He would get thirty seconds on Sports Center, you know, and it'd be like, Oh, look at what Trey Lance did this week. He had five touchdowns, no picks and
0: well a and buck he was he on was ground, on a on you know? a dynastic team. Like they had yeah. they'd won, I don't know, like four or five out of six uh titles at I forget what they're called North now. Dakota State, yeah. FCS or yeah, yeah. What one double A and yeah. uh, and they they had just been dominant and so, and then he followed after Carson Wentz, who kind of put that team on the map and all this stuff. So he, yeah, there there was definitely that coming out of college. The thing about him that is the most intriguing to me is, for the entirety of Kyle Shanahan's coaching career, both offensive coordinator and now head coach, he has been coaching quarterbacks who are not his ideal there, there's, yeah. there's sort of a constant like, but if I had, if I had a mm-hmm. mobile guy, if I had this, like it would unlock the offense. Yeah. And and Shanahan has put together some really successful offenses with middling quarterbacks. You know, he's kind of yeah. he's he's upped them. You know, turn Matt Ryan, who's been good, but Matt Ryan into an MVP. And uh yeah. Jamie Garoppolo, who's middling into a pretty productive quarterback. I think what we'll see with Lance is they're gonna they're gonna to kind of uh keep the training wheels on for yeah. four, five, six weeks mm-hmm. and it's gonna come together for him and the second half of his season he will look totally different than the first half that's my that's my guess just I hope so he I mean he yeah what he lacks is reps he lacked him in yeah. college, he doesn't have them at the pros and uh but by all accounts, he's really smart, he's clearly physically mm-hmm. talented they have great weapons and a good coach. They have a question marks on the offensive line. That's a little bit iffy, but he, yeah. I mean, I think he could be like the second half of the NFL MVP, which is part of the reason I, uh, I picked, you know, in the last episode, I picked the Niners to represent the NFC in Super Bowl Cause I think, yeah. well, it, if it comes together, it's really going to come together for them.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good word. That's a good point. And like, The on paper, the planets are aligning for it to come together. You know, it's not like he's stepping into a bad team. It's not like he's Zach Wilson, right? And he is handed the keys to a disaster and then he has a disastrous season. Um, one of mine, and we don't have to even talk about this guy, is a guy who I think will be better because Zach Wilson is out, and it's Elijah Moore, um, from the Jets. I think he'll be better with Flacco, um, I think all the Jets, like fantasy-wise, skill players will be better with Flacco than Zach Wilson. Um, maybe not a whole lot to say there. Um,
0: <laughs> what do, what do, what are your thoughts on, I guess, if you think Russell Wilson's going to fall off a cliff, you think that Cortland Sutton is definitely a low-floor player, probably not yeah. so much high ceiling. And again, I'm sad to say that because I've been a Jerry Judy shareholder for a while.
1: Like, I love Jerry Judy coming out of Alabama. I thought he was this, like, transcendent route runner and... You know he's been mired with injuries and mediocrity there in Denver. I, I just, I, yeah, I would I would kind of bet the under on Cortland Sutton despite him being a good player. Like I I sent to him being a good player. I don't think they're going to be a disaster. I mean it's not Drew Locke, You know um, <laughs> Russell Wilson will be competent, but I think people are buying the sort of. 2014-2015 magical Russell Wilson of their memory rather than the the 2021 Russell Wilson of reality. And um, yeah, I don't know that I'm ready to like pump up the
0: volume on guys like that um, as a result. I just feel like if Russell Wilson is going to be good and I think he can be, uh, Corlin Sutton is the only guy on that offense who who kind of fits perfectly with him. Yeah. Deep shots, you know, hidden down the field. I mean, he's, he's no DK Metcalf, but he can actually run more routes than Metcalf can. Like he's a, he's a better over the middle of the field guy. And uh, I could just see him being like a a five, five catch for 80 yards a game pretty consistently with some huge games in there, breaking off the big 50 yard touchdowns here and there. Like he's, he's a big play guy when they have a guy who can hit it downfield, which is if Wilson has one thing he can do consistently, it's that. So, I yeah. could see Sutton putting up – he's had a couple good years, but I could see him putting up big numbers this year, kind of just pop up out of the blue after a couple pretty pretty crummy years for him. I could see one scenario that's going to really frustrate
1: Russell Wilson happening in Denver, and it's the fact that I think they got a little, like, two-headed monster cooking up at running back. Um, nobody's excited about Melvin Gordon, but he has been good in the league before Everybody's excited about Javante Williams. They actually sneakily have some pieces on their offensive line that can run block. And they could end up running the ball way more than Russell Wilson wants to. And this could end up in a bizarro way being sort of a mirror of his experience in Seattle, where <laughs> they, they run a whole bunch. They have some success. He doesn't get to throw much. And he's frustrated again. But uh, there, that, there's a lot of
0: what-ifs in that scenario. I could just see it <clears throat> happening. Yeah, i I think they will more. I think it'll be more like they effectively use their running backs and actually throw. I mean, Russell Wilson has never been good when he's throwing forty times a game. Like it's yeah, the whole true. let Russ cook thing has was good for his fantasy numbers, but not. Yeah. He's not a very efficient quarterback. He's better throwing thirty thirty five times a game with a with an offense that controls the ball a little bit. So there's a lot of running, a few short passes, some screen passes, whatever. And then those shots that he that he tries to hit, the chunk plays and that kind of stuff. But that's always where he's been at the best, which is exactly what the Packers have been for the last like five years with Hackett there. Just or not five yeah. years, three years. And yeah. there's a lot of ball control, two headed running back thing with leaning more towards Aaron Jones. Uh yeah. and then and then hitting those key plays. And I all it takes is Russell to buy in. Like if he just trusts yeah. Hackett and he's like, Well, you did it with Rogers. Who's won a couple MVPs? Uh, you can do it with me i I think he still has it
1: yeah, yeah, I hope he does you know it's it's fun when he does have it and he's a fun player because he kind of breaks the mold and and that's always fun to watch. Um, Pipe, we've gone an hour and 11 minutes, man. We've been going a long time on this stuff and we didn't even get through our whole list, but uh, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. we got a little off the rails with the NBA stuff, but that was uh that was super interesting to me as well. And until
2: next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. Be sure to visit thehappyrant.com to check out our merchandise, learn more about upcoming live events, and listen to past episodes.